Please be seated. If you're seated, turn in your Bible to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1. Started this just at the beginning of the month, and we'll, we'll keep working through it little bit by little bit. If you look at the passage we have up there, we're, we're not going to make it much farther this week. But, uh, but over the last couple weeks, we've seen both the God who created, what he is like, and we've seen the necessity of a creator God, and even our understanding or comprehension of the universe. I mean, he is, we've seen how he's clearly displayed himself, and today we want to see um, God's work in his, in the, what he calls the first day of creation in the creation of light out of darkness. This is God's, so we're going to read Genesis 1, 3 through 5, and then I will read 14 through 19. So Genesis 1, 3 through 5 says, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Jumping down to verse 14, and God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth, and it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the fourth day. This is God's word. The flower fades, the grass withers, but the word of our God, it stands forever. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you are our great creator. And Father, as we look upon this creation that you've given to us in the creation of light, we ask that you would pour light into our lives. Uh, Father, light of understanding, light of hope, and the light of our Lord Jesus Christ. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, we have a, a sort of a love-hate relationship with light. You'll understand what I mean here in a minute. Um, you know, we need to be able to see, but sometimes we don't want to see that much. Um, we're on a, the, we were on a men's retreat this last week, so a number of our men went from Thursday through Saturday to a men's retreat up near Harrisonburg, uh, West Virginia, and it was a great time. We had almost 40 guys there. Um, Todd Perot, a pastor from um, Harrisonburg Covenant Presbyterian Church, ministered God's word to us and, uh, you know, just challenged us, raised up our doctrinal conviction, um, encouraged us. It was a great time together as brothers in Christ to encourage one another. And I just, you know, I come back energized, you know, for, for my time with you and my time there. So thank you, brothers, for going. I know that some 20 met here uh, with Pastor Doug for a retreat at home yesterday. And so if we put those two together, you know, we almost had 60 men attending, you know, each, either of those events. And that's really encouraging really, really encouraging. Well, uh, one of the nice things about going out on a retreat is going out in the mountains, right? And um, sometimes you go to the beach, sometimes you go to the mountains. This was a mountain retreat, and um, I showed up a little bit late, and, um, you know, I just came right in for the first event, and, you know, we, we sang, and we uh, listened to the message, and then we had some fellowship time, and then I had to go get my stuff uh, from the car, and I parked really far away. It wasn't that far, but 
farther than most cars. And I had to walk out there, and you know, I just decided to do it without light. Um, I decided to, you know, I'll just navigate it with my with my night vision, right? My natural night vision, and so. And so if you've ever been in the mountains, you know there's ruts in the road and you're just hoping, I just don't want to twist my ankle and other, some other injury, you know, my age or whatever. You know, I don't want anything like that to happen. I'm kind of steering myself and then all of a sudden just splash. You know, there's this puddle here. It's a small puddle. It was dried up by Saturday, uh, but just enough, you know, to get my legs wet and stepping in this puddle. I just didn't see it. You know, that was one of those times I would have liked to have a little bit more light, um, you know, we, we use light so we can get around. We use light so we can see where we're going. Um, it's more safe. You know, we're just people who need light, right? I mean, there, there are times that we don't want too much light. Maybe some of you experienced this morning. I mean, I don't know, especially our kids here, any of you had to wake up in the morning by your parents turning the lights on and yelling at you that you need to get out of bed. All you want is that just nice, cozy, uh, dark cover of your blankets over you. And um, just just to rest a little bit more, you know, it's the um, you know the, the start of one of those days when those things happen. Well, you know, there's too much light that comes on fast, and, and even a sense where it's like just too much for us, and it overwhelms uh, us. Sometimes we don't like exposure to light. If you've ever uh, stood before the bright light in a, in a bathroom or something, you can see every blemish on your body. And sometimes we don't want to see all those things. I think that's why we make dimmer switches, right? Makes us look a little bit better. You know, we call our light bulbs soft white light so that we're not too exposed and it's not too bright around us. Um, we just have these ways of controlling our exposure. In a lot of ways... You know, either of those can be a human response to God's light. You know, I need light to get around. I need light to move around. I need light and hope. But I, but I don't want so much light that I get exposed by it. I don't want so much light that it overwhelms. And many times we want to dim out God's light for fear of being too exposed, being called to something that we don't want to do. But we know we need light. You know, there are something that theologians have called the dark night of the soul. Have you ever had a dark night of the soul? It could be more than just one day. It could be a period of time where, you know, you're discouraged. You're sad. Maybe you're confronted with suffering. It's your own suffering. It's just a dark time where God seems distant, where your prayers don't seem to be answered. It could be the suffering of somebody that you love. There's times where we're confronted with sin. Could be our own sin. Again, we, we just sense the distance of God, the discouragement, the frustration of not seeing growth or progress. But it could also be somebody else's sin against us. We could ask, why did this happen to me? It could just be that discouragement, the dark night. You know, there is a darkness that comes in not hearing from God, a darkness when our prayers aren't answered. But there's also the darkness that comes of unbelief. I mean, the Bible describes not knowing God as a, as, as a darkness, a blindness, where a person is not able to perceive the full truth of living in God's world or the God who's created them, the personal God who's created them. Well, as we continue to work through Genesis here, here we come to our first day of creation, the creation of light. Of all the things that God could have created, the first thing he did is to create light. Do you think there's something significant about that? You know, you, you know that there is. 
And that's important for us to think about, even set a whole morning to think about it. Just as God has put um, light into the world, we need to choose light over darkness. We need light. And so my, my hope as we look through this today is that we'd all make a movement towards light. You know, if there's discouragement that you're facing, and you need the hope of, of, of God's light, that you'd be able to find that. But if, that if you don't know Christ Jesus, that you would know the light of, of a relationship with him. That if you're in sin and there's something you're, you're hiding and hiding away from God or some resistance to his will, that you'd move towards that. Movement towards light can be uncomfortable, but, you know, as we do, we find that that's where we're supposed to be. People choose darkness. They choose ignorance because it's more comfortable. They choose darkness because they're afraid or they won't have to change. They're afraid of exposure to light, afraid of what it'd be like to be exposed by God or before others. But there's no need to stay in darkness. It's a darkness we miss out on what God has for us of his people, for us as his people. So today we want to look at what it means to live in God's light. The first thing we want to look at is how God created light. God created light. Genesis 1-3 shows the very first part of God's creation. Uh, it really is only matched in significance or superseded in significance in the last day of creation. In the creation of Adam and Eve. Probably no two of the days are more important than those two. The most significant part of, of God's creation. Again, verse 3-5 through five says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Again, we haven't made it very far in Genesis, but by way of review, in, in verse 1, if you look back there, we, we saw God creating the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, we read. But what was that creation like? Verse 2 shows us that whatever was there was not developed. If you look at verse 2, you see the first, that the earth was without form and void. You see this initially created earth, but there, it's, it's unformed. So God begins to, to form it. He begins to fill it. He makes it the way he wants it. He orders it according to his design. And the very first thing that he does is to put light over darkness. Keep going to verse 2. And darkness was over the face of the deep. That's what he's addressing. He's building a contrast there. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. God's first act in creating light would display all that he had created. It shows us God's plan is not for darkness. It shows us that uh, God's plan is not for darkness, but it's for light. Darkness only existed because God had not intentionally acted. God, uh, uh, darkness demonstrates the lack of his gracious activity. It gives a sense that God hadn't done anything with that yet. It was something to do. How did God create light? Verse 3 says that it came from the word of God. It came from his voice. We say that God created by fiat, which means he, which is uh, the Latin word for, um, for let there be. Uh, Latin, the Latin is fiat lux, let there be light. If you ever want to meditate on the power and the pure awesomeness of our God, you could stop by the, start with the consideration that he created everything with a word, with his words, just starting with light. And there is Kind of a wonderful mystery to the universe. I mean, what is it that holds all of this thing together? I mean, what's the, the, the basic substance of the universe? 
you know, we have the word atom, right? We talk about atoms and atomic and, and those things because, you know, that uh, philosophers or scientists would look for that, that basic uh, unit that composed the universe. And, and as the um, atom was discovered, there's this sense, well, you know, this is uh, the essential unit of our of, of, of the material universe. In fact, you know, we see that connection between Adam and atomic as in Adam, our, our, our first father, this, the start of the human race. You know, but over time, there was a discovering that, that even the atoms, even these so-called smallest particles, had even smaller particles. You know, I think they call them quarks, or actually they called them, uh, you know, you had neutrons and protons and, and electrons. And you have this nucleus here at the center and the electrons moving around the, uh, the, the, the nucleus of protons and neutrons. You know, but there's a space that's between, you know, almost, you know, especially as we diagram it out, at least visually, it almost looks some, well, like our solar system, you know, a nucleus with, you know, space and, until you hit that next electron and, and, and the, through that electron cloud. And so, you know, and scientists kept looking at that. They looked at those protons and neutrons and realized that even those are made up of quarks and up quarks and down quarks and, you know, well, what are those? You just keep getting smaller and smaller, and even in some of these units, you recognize there's a space between them. You know, there's a question, what holds the universe together? I mean, the universe has a lot of space, whether we look out far or we look up. We look through a telescope, we look through a microscope. And we see, when we look at Genesis, what is it that holds the universe together? You know, what is it that put it together in the first place? You know, it's God's word. You know, he's the one who spoke it all into existence. You know, the universe is God's word. Um, he's the one who holds it into place. It's not atoms. It's not atomic energy. It's not, you know, uh, electromagnetism. I mean, it is the word of God, which holds it all together. All these gaps, everything in the middle here, it's God holding it together. You know, just meditate on this. That first there was nothing, and then all of a sudden, you know, God speaks, and there is something. First there's only darkness, and then God speaks, and then there is light. Light comes across the universe just simply by what he, he says. I mean, anybody here have an Alexa? You know, I mean, doesn't it feel good sometimes you walk into a room and I say, Alexa, light's on, turn the lights on, and just boom, you know, they go on. You know, but I'm using electricity that was already there. I'm using electronics was already there. I'm using a lamp that somebody else created and light bulbs and all those things in order for me to say that it happens. You know, God had none of that. Let there be light. And that there was light. It's amazing just to think about. Before we get on to our second point, I want to uh, look at something important, the way that God created lights. And that really brings us to the second uh, passage we want to look at today, which is verses 14, especially 14 through 16. We see God creating the, the sun, the moon, and the stars. God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate light or the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so, and God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. And the stars. You know, I don't think it's an incidental thing that God uh, reminds us that He created light before He created the stars. You know, historically, uh, people have given the stars divine-like qualities. I mean, false religions have said the world is is really run by the fate of the stars and the and the the placement of the stars, or the or the other 
uh, you know, the other bodies in the sky. The whole zodiac system is built on the lunar year. People put predictions in fortune cookies based on the stars. You've, you've seen horoscopes, right? You know, they build in speculations based on the constellations and what's going on in the sky to predict what's going to happen today. And, and even today, no matter how educated that uh, we might think we are as a nation, but can, people continue to use horoscopes to see whether they're going to have a good day or they're going to have a bad day. As far as I know, horoscopes are still part of the, the comic book section in newspapers. Uh, that's because people read them. I read a story about a 21-year-old man who uses horoscopes regularly. He said, for me, I'm a very spiritual person, but I go based off my daily horoscope. I'm a Leo. So I look at my horoscope to see, is it going to be a good or is it going to be bad? I live by that religiously. I live by that religiously in decision-making. It's critical to see that as people move away from God, um, that it doesn't mean they become less religious. It means generally they become more superstitious. We are a religious creature. But in rebellion against God, instead of embracing God as our creator, uh, people in sin substitute all kinds of foolishness in there. It's sad and it's scary. scary to think that life might be directed. We might make decisions based simply upon the alignment of stars. It's sad. Or it's, it's scary that, that this impersonal universe is, if, you know, if that was true, a universe that cares nothing for you at all would dictate your life and you would have no control over it. It's sad because it denies responsibility that we have for our choices, denies people the agency that they have to make different choices and to build a better life for themselves. It, it reinforces the sense that we're locked into the life that we have. But see, when we look at the stars, we need to remember that they, too, are God's servants, that's one of the big points of Genesis chapter 1. You know, the, the stars are the, the servants of God who do the bidding of God, and their job is to transmit the light that God had already made. That's their job. You know, they don't have power over lives. They don't have spiritual power over the universe. They serve God. History does not serve them. And so we, we should never say that our lives are driven by fate. We never have to check the newspaper and see whether it's going to be a good day or a bad day. Our lives are not directed by fate, but what we have is a, is a true and a sovereign God who we can trust and we look to. He, he cares for his creation. We remember that behind the creation of this universe is something personal because it was created by a personal God. And so even when we talk about the decrees of God, his predestination, the things that he sets about as the author of all of life and all history, we are talking about something very different than fate. Fate is dumb. Fate has no plan. It has no brain. It has no personality. It is uncaring. It has no sense of justice. But God is personal. God is intelligent. God has a plan. And he's loving and he's just. And so when we talk about the decrees of God, we acknowledge that he is in control of all things, that he's guiding all things from the end and the beginning. But as we look at that, we see his character in it. There is another form of superstition that robs God of his glory and steals away human agency. It ends up oppressing the weak. But because God is personal, because he is infinite, because he is sovereign, you know, we know that, God, that people can make genuine decisions that still fit into his predetermined plan. We may not know how the sovereignty of God and the free choices of people work together, but that doesn't mean that it's impossible. It just means we don't understand that. I don't know that we ever will. Maybe ever. Even in heaven, I don't know that we're going to understand that one. But it's not that it's not possible. 
if you have a sovereign God over the universe who's writing all things, but yet allows of free human agency, free human decisions. I mean, the options, the alternatives are horrible. And actually, this idea of, of being predetermined, you know, according to, um, um, you know, stars and those things even end up justifying some of the worst human behaviors. I remember um, one high school psychology teacher who, who said that we don't really make any choices. You know, in his own secular way, he really just said we're just conditioned, you know, by our life and experience and things that happened uh, before us. And the things that happened before us were conditioned by the things that happened before them. And, and really, nobody really makes a choice. We're just material, which responds to the material that was before us. You know, so a butterfly flapping its wings over across the world, you know, could, is going to affect the decision you make today, but you really didn't have any choice over it. You know, the sort of behaviorism, it's, it's even used by totalitarian communist governments to, to justify re-education camps, to, to justify gulags and forced labor camps, like we've seen throughout history. But our universe is not directed by stars, it's not directed by uh, fate, it's not directed by um, um, anything but the sovereignty of God. We can never forget that. Deuteronomy 4.19 reminds us not to, to worship the stars as sovereign. It says this, and beware that lest you raise your eyes to the heavens, and when you see the sun and the moon, the stars and the host of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them, things that the Lord your God has allotted to all peoples under the whole heaven. They are his servants. All right, so first thing we see, that God created light. The second thing we see um, is that God is light. We take this from the rest of Scripture. You know, from the statement that we read, we see that God delights in his creation. That's what he says. He said, you know, he, he saw that it was good. The word can also be translated beautiful. He invites his uh, people to, to delight in the beauty of his creation. It's because as we delight in the beauty of his creation, we also see him as the creator, the one who created light. And scripture shows us something important about this light is that this light is really a very reflection of the very character and the very nature of God. Because God is light. Look at 1 John 1, 5 and 7. 1 John 1, 5 and 7, we read this. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus' sons. His son cleanses us from all sin. You know, is there any wonder that God would create light first if, if there's no darkness that is in him? Wouldn't he create light? You know, darkness is the absence of light. Darkness symbolizes the absence of, the, the, of God's moral good. Darkness symbolizes this absence of hope. Because God has all of those things in himself. And the call for us then, according to this passage, is to, to stay close to the light. When we're in the light, that we are with God. That's why we see passages um, extolling virtues, virtues of, of godly character, which are, uh, which are good qualities. They're really qualities that light up a room, qualities that light up our world, if you'd say. Like passages like Philippians 4.8. It says we should meditate on these things that come from God because it shows what he's like. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. These things are part of God's nature, his character. It's his moral goodness put in a list of character qualities. 
and part of his light to this world. Or you can consider the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. These are these beautiful character qualities, things that are not present apart from the, the, the presence of God. But where he is present by his Holy Spirit, these qualities are also present. Not only is God light, but God also dwells in light. Look at 1 Timothy 6.16. 1 Timothy 6.16 says that God alone has immortality. God dwells in unapproachable light with uh, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion forever. Notice what it says, that God dwells in light. And not just in light, but in unapproachable light. That's one way to talk about God's holiness. You know, again, what I mentioned at the beginning, that we can be sometimes be uncomfortable in light when certain things are exposed that we don't want to see exposed. We, you know, we become uncomfortable when things come out in the open that we might want to remain hidden. And that's why in light of sin, we might even resist drawing near to God if we want to uh, keep something to ourselves. But God sees our sins. No matter how we try to hide them, we could look at uh, Psalm 90, verse 8, which says, You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. You know, even things that uh, might seem to be in the darkness and hidden, these things are not hidden from God. You remember what Adam and Eve did in the, in the garden after they sinned? They hid from God. They didn't want to be exposed. But God saw them. Even today, if people want to do misdeeds, uh, when do they do it? They often do it in the dark, right? My dad always said that nothing good happens after 11 o'clock. Parents say that. You probably were told that yourself. And that's because at nighttime, when you're tired, when there, no one else can see, people let their inhibitions down and are more willing to do what's wrong. Light, on the other hand, engages the mind. You know, we often call an intelligent person enlightened, right? Light engages the rationality. But if people want to ignore that, if they want to live by unenlightened instinct, if they want to live like animals, you know, one of the first things they'll do is they start turning the lights out. One of the greatest exposures that we can ever face, though, is exposure to God's holiness. That's why uh, the prophet Isaiah, when he came face to face with God, he saw this God who was an unapproachable life, and he was undone as he had this experience. We'll read this again in, in Isaiah 6. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah sees God in his holiness, and he feels exposed. He saw God in his unapproachable light. He saw God in whom no eyes should ever see because of his holiness. And he can't, in that case, just marvel and worship because he sees his own sin. He sees the uncleanness of his own lips. He sees the uncleanness of the lips of his people. I mean, do we have the same fear? 
You know, people today, some people are not conscious enough of the holiness of God. Other people fear the exposure or want to, yeah, they fear the exposure of God's holiness. Maybe they'll ask too much of me. You know, I don't want to do what God wants me to do. I need to hide. I, I don't want to see the problems in my life. I don't want to make the adjustments. I can't admit them. I need to hide. People draw back when the cost of obedience is too high. While we say we want to live in the light of God's creation, too often we want to avoid the exposure of God's word. How about you? Are you drawing back, drawing back and avoiding God because you don't want to talk about your sin? Avoiding back from the exposure that, that comes from knowing him. Drawing back, refusing to, tell, you know, to offer your life to him. When you need to tell him you'll do whatever he calls you to do. Drawing back from coming into his presence with worship. You know, God is, God created light, God is light. That leads us to our third point. Struggling with this thing here. It leads to our third point, that God sends light. The God who, who uh, created light, who is light, who dwells in light, he also sends light into this world. Look at John 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who are we talking about here? As we know our Bibles, we know talking about Jesus, the Son of God, the one who is eternally present with God. And we see this, all things were, uh, he was in the beginning with God. Way back here in Genesis, you know, this is speaking about what's happening in Genesis. We see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all present in the work of creation. Is this what it says here in uh, John chapter 1? All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. You know, Jesus, the Son of God, is, is creator of all the universe. But then we look at this. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You know, we see the Apostle John as he writes uh, this, this um, gospel, you know, for his readers, he connects the, the very, um, you know, he connects Jesus and his coming with the eternally present, eternally existent Son of God who lived forever, you know, who's, who has no beginning or new end, who is present at the beginning of, of creation because he's always existed. And we see when Jesus came into the world, the disciples realized something, you know, and realizing his difference was that he was the personification of light. They see it in what they describe him here, as the Apostle John describes him here, but they also see it as they witness his transfiguration, as, as Jesus' glory came out, and, and he's shown with a bright light that they couldn't stand to be in front of without being undone. Jesus, the Son of God, created everything. He has the power of life within him. And this life, it says, was the light of men. And just as the darkness flees before light, so the darkness of sin and the darkness of evil and the darkness of death flee before the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said this about himself in John eight twelve when he spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is one of these great I am statements of Jesus. Statements where, you know, he uses I am statement to show that he was God who's come in the flesh. Showing that he is the very light of God who's come. And he came to us as an act of God's mercy, as an act of God's grace. Remember Isaiah? 
you know, as he expressed, as he experienced this awful dread of coming before God, an angel came and he touches his lips with a burning coal as a symbol of his cleansing, of his forgiveness. If we are to come into the light of the holiness of God, we need that cleansing, cleansing of our, of our guilt, the cleansing of our conscience, taking away of our shame. By ourselves and our sin and our weakness, we cannot stand to look at the light of the glory of God. I mean, even the angels had wings to cover their faces, to cover their feet. But Jesus could gaze upon the glory of God. He was light. As holy as his father is seen in the transfiguration where his light shined through. And when he died on that cross, he not only took away our sin and our shame, but he covered us with his light. We see darkness coming over the face of the earth as, as Jesus is judged there on the cross. But yet, on the third day, he rises again from the dead. Even the darkness flees before him. He gave us his holiness so that we could be with God, so that we could draw near to God in his light. And the invitation of Jesus is to move away from the land of the shadow of death and to come in the light of his glory, of his grace. Do you live in darkness? Do you know the darkness of sin? Is that something that you are choosing? Or do you know the darkness of hopelessness, of shame? To you, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And he says, come to me. Come to me not to be shamed, not so you can be embarrassed by exposure, but so you can be brought in the warm light of his presence. He says, come so you can leave that selfish life behind and to live this for something that matters, to live for his glory. He says, come so that you can abandon the sin that's setting you back, that's, that's hurting the people around you, and the life of God's presence that brings life. Would you come to the light of the world and believe in him by faith? We see another way that God sent light in the world, and in 2 Corinthians 4, 4 through 6, in order for any of us to understand and receive the gospel, we need God to regenerate us. He has to do work inside of us. We need to be, be born again. You notice, if you look at this passage here, how the, it describes regeneration as like having the light turned on for us, right? This internal light. Verse 4 starts, in, the case, in their case, the case of unbelievers, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You know, the world, the flesh, and the devil, I mean, these things are all aligned to keep us in darkness. They blind us with money, with lust, with anxiety, with fear, with anger. They don't want us to see God and this, this light that's out there. But look what God does. goes on to say, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see the very act of regeneration the very act which brings us to faith in Jesus Christ is God shining a light from our minds to the very message of the gospel. God shows that he is greater. He's greater than our sin. He's greater than the darkness. He shows his wonder. And he shows that all that the world has to offer is nothing compared with Christ. You know, this is, this is the aha moment for believers. Conversion requires light. It requires this understanding this, this revelation, this regeneration, to see it and it becomes precious to us, more precious than our sin. But notice without light, what it says, it says, 
We're blind. Without that light, that regeneration, we're groping around in the darkness. There's light that's out there, but it's not for us because we're blind to it. We ignore God. We ignore sin. We live selfishly without prayer and Bible study and worship, and that's the darkness. That's you and me until God turns that light on, opens to see the light. We don't even know that we're living in darkness. We end up liking it because we don't even know what light is. But God, we, we need light, and God gives it to us generously as he gives us new light, helping us to see things, things that are, that are hidden from us until they're revealed by him. And that's why we need God, God to shine the light on the truth of his gospel. He sends light to give us new life. You know, we need to, to, you know, we're in such a need of the gospel. We're in such a need of grace. It's why we need to let this light into our lives, you know, not shutting the door into the light of God's word by failing to read the Bible, you know, failing to see the light of what God has done by, by neglecting prayer, you know, by the, the, the light of God's word, by finding refreshment in the fellowship of the church. It's so important for our families as we want our children to walk in light, to, to read the scriptures to them and to share with them the good news of the light, which stands in contrast to the gospel, and to pray that God would open their, their hearts and minds to the truth, which show them his light. Well, I want to look at one more way that God sends light into the world. As he sends Jesus, you know, he, he regenerates. We also send the gospel, but he also sends the church to be light to the world. He's sending you and I to be that light. He's sending us together. Look at Matthew chapter 5. Verses 14 through 16, this is Jesus. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You know, you see the call of the church to let that light of Christ to shine through us. You remember that, you know, he is the light of the world. Remember that, that God is the source of light, to all of creation. God has put light into our minds and our hearts as we believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he says, let it shine. You know, we, we live in an increasingly dark world. As people turn away from God, as our culture turns away from biblical morality, you just see the, the, the darkness grow. We see it in violence. You see it in distrust. We see it in conflict. You see the refusal to practice self-control, the disloyalty, the suppression of liberty, you know, the darkness of growing unbelief. What does all this create? You know, we also see the darkness of pain, of, of hurt, of loss, of distance from God. And Jesus commands, let my light shine through you in this dark world. And here's the thing, as, as the darkness grows, the light shines all the more brightly, doesn't it? You know, doesn't it? You know, the moon stands out in the darkness of night. And true faith shines where there's unbelief and anger and anxiety and grief. I mean, this is our mission theme for the year. Um, let light shine out of darkness? Or what, what, what is it? Yeah, the, the light shines brightest in the darkness. And so as we look forward to next year's missions uh, month in March, that's our theme. You know, we see it's just connected. You know, the darker the things are, you know, the more brightly the light shines. I, I was thinking about this morning as I woke up and I went about my business. I, I got dressed. I went downstairs. I went to my car. I had to go in the dark and get something out of it. You know, I did most of it by using, you know, that tiny little flashlight that's on your, uh, that's on my phone. 
you know, but that one tiny bit of light, you know, gave me what I needed to get dressed and help me find what I needed in my car, help me not stub my toe or, or run off of, uh, run anywhere I needed to as I walked down my driveway. Um, you know, one little light can make a big difference in darkness. You know, your light makes a difference in the darkness, but, but also think about the light of the church acting in truth and love. I mean, you know, that stands out in a dark, dark culture. And the church of Jesus Christ around the world you know, holding to Christ stands as a light to truth and love. You never know what you'll, you'll do, things that you accomplish in the darkness, things you may not even know about. You don't always see what's going around you. I remember uh, recently a man uh, said to me, he said, it meant a lot to me when you offered to help me. And that's all I said. I just offered to help. I didn't even do anything other than that. But even that was a help. You know, I didn't hear about that until years later. I mean, there are, there are ways that you may be bringing light. Since you're faithful, faithful to what God has called you to. And, and don't be discouraged in that light. You may not see the, the fruit of it for a long time. He says, let your light shine so that others may see your good works. And then what? And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So we need to act, ask ourselves, what is it that we're doing? Are, you know, are we shining the light of Christ in our actions? We're shining the light of Christ with our words, or are we making things more ugly instead of beautiful? You see, God created a beautiful world with his words in the same way you know, we paint pictures with our words. We show our joy, not by brooding over the things that are happening in the world, but by showing the joy of a life that's transformed by the hope of the gospel. I mean, that's part of our witness. I was so encouraged recently to, to see how Christians are doing this. I was reading um, a bit from a sociologist, Robert Putnam, but he was talking about how Christians give uh, more time and money and service to the church, but also more time and money and service to their neighbors around them. You know, one author was, was asking this question. He said, well, you know, I mean, Christians, they seem so wrapped up inside their churches and they're donating money there and they're spending time there and they're investing in relationships there. You know, I mean, is this kind of just a holy huddle, which, which they're just doing together? And what Robert Buttonham showed him and, and, and others is that, you know, even though Christians do spend more time, money, energy with each other, what, they, what he also finds is that they spend more time in the community, you know, giving and time and energy with the things that need to take place out there among their neighbors and the community around them. Buttonham says this, he says, by many different measures, religiously observant Americans are better neighbors and better citizens than secular Americans. They are more generous with their time and money, especially in helping the needy, and they are more active in community life. You know, we have a long way to go. Frederick Nietzsche once said, hey, if, if you want people to um, like your redeemer, you need to act more like redeemed people. You know, act in the joy of your redemption. You know, and so we do have a need of of, of doing that. You know, but we're also thankful for the great things that God is doing inside of the lives of the believers and in his church around the world. You know, we're not the source of light. You know, God is the source of light. I mean, we're vessels for his light to shine forth. And the starting point is, is our worship of him, our communion with him, our, our love of him, our adoration of him. And it grows out of that. Now, later we're going to see how, how God created us in his image. We'll see that in a few weeks. Um, but part of being his image is being a reflection of his light to the world. Letting God's work shine through us. Taking his word, applying it, living it out. You can only do this when you have faith in Jesus. But when you have faith in Jesus, you'll do it. You know, that's the story of the gospel. Letting the work of Christ work through us. 
The gospel tells the story of God bringing light into a dark place. And you can think about the, the dark places that are around us. Those who are lost in the guilt and the shame of sin. You know, those who are moving forward in unbelief to a Christless eternity. Those who've turned away from Christ and walk in darkness. As we think about the people around us, we're called to be a light there. I mentioned this last week, but just mentioned again, you know, the, the Deborah Smith's welcomes family, uh, welcome families ministry. It's just been such an encouragement as, as kind of word got out and other people around the country are even asking, you know, hey, what is it that y'all are doing there? You know, why? And it's because when we see people who are in darkness, you know, and we have opportunity to shine the light of Christ to them, you know, we want to jump on that opportunity. You know, hospitality is a big part of that. Meeting needs is a part of that. Inviting others to come, um, be part of the body of Christ is a part of that. Building relationships is a part of that. You know, hospitality and welcome, you know, that's, that's, that's a huge part of our ministry of caring for others. So our call is simple. It is to come to the light. It's to shine his light. Um, but, it's, but it's one that we're going to be working our whole lives in. Let's light the world up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you um, that you not only created light, but you sent light into this world. Um, God, we know what it is to be in a spiritual darkness because we were all there. If it weren't for Christ, we would all be there. Christ has turned us towards the hope of the gospel, and we thank you for that. We pray, Father, that you, that not only, we pray that not only as you sent light, but you call us to be light, that, Father, you'd help us to be faithful in doing that. God, give us the grace to do it, and may Christ shine ever more brightly inside of our hearts and lives, so that, Father, that the light that we show would be an overflow of the light that we've received from him. We ask you all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, him for-